Welcome to the Trek Convention Podcast. And thank you for joining us as we discuss our favorite Trek headlines, we shine a spotlight on the latest Star Trek series, and discuss everything we know and love from the Star Trek universe. All, of course, from a fan's point of view. Hello and welcome to Season 2 of the Trek Convention Podcast, and in this episode we'll be discussing more Star Trek series than you can shake a stick at, a boatload of new documentaries, including an homage to our favorite communication officer, all this and more in this episode of the Trek Convention Podcast. Hey, Jenna, how are you? Hey, Bill. Welcome to season two. Thank you. I can't believe we're back. At, we're already at season two. I know. There was only seven episodes in season one, but that's how you get to season two so quickly. But it has been, it was last year, so it seemed like it would be appropriate to call it a season two rather than continue to call it season one as we go from year to year to year to year. So. Yeah, I think the last um, episode we did was before Christmas, So, and it's March now. So Yes, yes. That's, uh, that's a while, but, um, I did move, so it's, it's taken a while to find all the cables to get this to work again. Um, yeah. you probably didn't hear it cause you're on the other end, but you, we have new music for the season, which is very exciting. That is exciting. Yes. It's up tempo. It's 2021. We're very excited about 2021. We're hoping it's a whole lot better than 2020 because really how could it be worse? But we'll see now yeah. that I've said it out loud, it could be worse. <laughs> Thanks for the jinx, Bill. I know. The world will just point to me when it comes time to blame someone for what happened in 2021. So let's get right to it. Track history. Track history. Track history. Track history. So it looks like the History Channel is doing an eight-part docu-series, not to call it a mini-series, but it's a docu-series called The Center Seat, 55 Years of Star Trek which I actually, I always look forward to, first of all, any documentary about Star Trek, because it's exciting. And the History Channel always seems to do a good job. And these are the same people, the production company that did this is uh, the Nacelle Company, and they did The Toys That Made Us. I don't know, did you see that on uh, Netflix? You're not a documentary no. kind of person. Anyway, it's great. they did a couple seasons of it. They went through like the Star Wars toys and Barbie, and it they... It's they were great. They were hugely popular. Only about five or six episodes of each, and they did it for two seasons. But they were they were great. So I'm really excited that they're going to be doing one uh, for Star Trek. And it sounds like it's the original series, since they are talking about a 55 years of Star Trek. But maybe it'll include more than that. The uh, the little press release says each each of the series episodes will feature interviews with cast, crew, experts in the realm of Star Trek who can share. Uh, backstage stories and other insights into the saga. I didn't realize Star Trek was a saga, but I guess when you're on for 55 years, it's it's that or it's a saga. Uh, but they do call out uh, uh, other parts of the franchise, including the animated series and Phase Two. Phase Two. I have a book on what Phase is, Two. What is Phase Two? Funny you should ask. He said, holding up his book that no one can see because this is radio. Um, but. After Star Trek was canceled, it was an interesting thing. Before, back in the 60s when Star Trek was on, uh, Nielsen and the people that did ratings just counted the number of people who watched the show. 
just very, you know, it was the early days of, of keeping track of that sort of thing. And one of the reasons why they canceled Star Trek was they just weren't getting a lot of people to watch the show every week. And that's how they, they metriced things. The year they took it off the air, Nielsen switched to uh, a much more measured system where they could figure out who was watching. And one of the things they found uh, is that it was uh, men 18 to 26 primarily. And it was the 60s, so that was a, that was a big deal for them and, and, and tends to be even now, um, which is exactly the market everyone wanted at the time. And it was pretty consistently that group week after week after week, which would have been enough to keep them on the air had they known that literally one year earlier. So that kind of set the seed in mind to maybe revisit Star Trek in the future. So they had gone so far as to create Star Trek Phase 2. Uh, I don't think they got anybody from the original series on. They had a, another Vulcan character. I think we talked about that in a previous episode where they kind of took the actor that was going to play him on the TV series. He ended up being in the movie. Um so they had built the sets, they'd written scripts, they'd cast, crew, the whole thing. And it was literally like the night before, and uh, they canceled it. Part of it was because Star Wars had come out, and they realized that they could probably do a movie that would be, you know, make them a lot more money or be less production cost or whatever. I don't know what the thinking was, but yeah, that's what Phase 2 was. So hopefully, the center seat uh, will give us a little bit of insight into that. And if you're really interested, there's a book called Star Trek Phase Two: The Lost Series, written by Judith and Garf- Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens. It's a lot of names. Um, the one I have is, I think, from about 1997. I'm sure it's in many, many printings since then. But it is kicking around. Uh, I have to admit, I haven't read it like most of the books I own. I love the fact that I own them, but I don't always read them. Uh, but yeah, if you want to know more about it, that's uh, that's the book, the book the book to look for. It's usually on on eBay pretty frequently, which is I'm sure where I got it from. So that's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. They don't say when it will air, um, but um, yeah, I hope it's uh, I hope it's pretty soon. I'm sure they'll align it with something. I did notice that one of the executive producers is Gates McFadden. Dr. Crusher. Yep. Yeah. All right, so what's next? Series Spotlight. Series Spotlight. Series Spotlight. So it sounds like Picard, and, and I think they, they started doing this while we were on break, but the season two has begun uh, production, which is exciting because it's always exciting to get another Star Trek up and running. Um, Jonathan Frakes, who apparently is terrible at keeping secrets, um, had posted a photo, I don't remember, must have been on Twitter, with himself, LeVar Burton, and uh, John DeLancey. So now the buzz is that um, John DeLancey and um, LeVar Burton are must be in season two. So that's set the Trek universe on fire with like, what are they going to play? Are they bring back themselves? Why are they there? What is Q doing? Because Q doesn't, he's, he's not a, he's not a character that quietly slips on stage and into your right. world. So there's even talk that like with Q coming back, he's been in Lower Decks. So, and it takes place about the time of uh, Next Generation. So would there be maybe a mention of the Cerritos? Maybe not, but now there's more backstory for all of them to discuss. So anyway, that would be interesting. But the other big news is that Strange New Worlds has started shooting. 
They're up in the Canada. Um, and of course, now that they're part of Paramount Plus, not that they weren't really before, but now that they're really pushing Paramount Plus, there's a cute little video of all of the the cast and crew talking about what they're doing there and how excited they are. And we're all excited. Anson Mount is adorable in that he can barely keep from giggling. Uh, he's a grown man with gray hair that giggles. How, what's not to like? Um, so, yeah. And they've cast five new five new actors for their role. They don't say who, I mean, what characters they'll play or what their names are. I mean, what the names of the characters are. Uh, and I would read their names, but I'm sure I would mispronounce them. But um, they've been on shows like Black Mirror, Marvel's The Defenders, um, Bulletproof, a lot of Black Mirror, Doctor Who. Anyway, so yeah, the, this one woman whose name I will, her last name is Gooding. She won an Tony Award for a musical. Wow. That doesn't happen very often often in Star Trek, I don't think, for you're in town and fame. Um, and didn't, didn't you say that most of the women, most of the actors that were cast were actually women? Yeah, I think four out of the five are women. There's one uh, one gentleman. Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, it was in, uh, it was in Deadline, which is a much more industry centric. Uh, there's a woman whose first name is Babs, whose last name I, I won't, I won't mangle. Christine Chong, Celia Rose Gooding, Good, uh, Jess Bush, and Melissa Navia. Uh, Navia, uh, Melissa was in Billions. I feel like I've seen that character, but I, I, I don't, I don't remember. That name strikes me as familiar. And of course, the characters that appeared in Discovery, you know, Anson Mount and you know, Christopher Pike and Ethan Peck um, and Rebecca are all coming back to reprise their roles uh, from Discovery on the Enterprise in this strange new world. So there's been a lot of discussion about, like, are they going to try to recast the characters that were in The Cage? Because that was sort of the, the genesis of um, of what we know of the that particular crew. For me, I'm very excited about Strange New Worlds because it seems like the most um, akin to the original series. Uh, I think Anson Mount is great as the captain. He brings a lot of life and, and comedy and sense of humor and lightheartedness to it, as well as being you know, stern when he needs to be. Um, one of the short treks I thought was a really good exploration of his character and his sense of duty, and yet his sort of camaraderie. It kind of played both ends of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think he's great in the role, and I think bringing back the Enterprise and Spock and all that will will get a lot of lot of fan buzz and a lot of fan interest. Yeah, I'm really excited about it too. Um, do you know when it's due to uh, release? No, I haven't run across that. And anybody who mentions it is usually like guessing because they're trying to figure out like, well, how long does it usually take to produce, and then when do they have enough series to air? Um, feel like it might be the end of this year. Um, but part of it too is like I mentioned, um, Picard is back and of course they already have a, a first season. So it's like, well, which they run first. I don't, don't get the impression that they would run them back, um, concurrently because they need to be splitting the cap, but maybe they do. I don't know. I don't understand the, the, the business model behind, behind streaming. So I don't know if they'll, they'll run them concurrently or consecutively. My guess is they do it consecutively. And I think Discovery is set to start soon-ish. I think there's been some talk about them starting up 
their their uh, fourth season. So that's a lot of Star Trek and uh, Prodigy. There's been some buzz about Prodigy too, because um, that'll be on Nickelodeon. And but I'm sure Paramount Plus will have it. They'll have all of it. Is Prodigy uh, live action or animated? Animated. It's animated. That's okay. the one with um, Kate Mulgrew reprising her role as Janeway. Although I don't know if she'll be Admiral Janeway like she was in the movies, or or if she's still Captain. Probably Admiral, but who knows? Uh, anything to hear, even though I won't see because it's animated. To uh, hear Kate Mulgrew again, we love her. I just ran across. We an, do love her. I just ran across again, having moved. I just ran across a, the book I have of hers that she wrote, autographed by her. I saw her speak in San Francisco about the book, and she's a very good speaker. So we saw that together. Uh, no, we didn't. Uh, I mean, San Francisco. I saw her in a bookstore when she was signing her book. Oh, okay. Somewhere in the mission. So, what's next? Track history. Track history. Track history. Track history. Well, next up is I. It's available on iTunes. Uh, Woman in Motion. It's a documentary about Nichelle Nichols and her impact on NASA. I am old enough to remember when she was um, a spokesperson for NASA. And this documentary um, is a a bit about her, of course, and then uh, a lot about her impact on NASA and the diversity within NASA. Um, A little bit about the actual movie itself. It's a documentary. It runs about an hour and a half. It's actually an hour and 35 minutes. It was produced in 2020. I think it was designed to be in theaters. There's a trailer and and there's a lot of, if you get it on iTunes, there's a lot of uh, behind the scenes kind of um, conversations and documentary bits and and pieces that weren't in and support material that they, they shot. It looks like they pulled footage from a couple different places there was a, a, a looks like it was a documentary that they didn't use much of her footage called Black Stars in Orbit, uh, something around the early '80s. And then there's uh, there's some archival footage from American television. There's uh, she had written a book called Beyond Uhura, and it sounds like they've grabbed her um, audio book version because she sort of narrates bits and pieces of it. And then NASA did a uh, documentary called What's in It for Me, which was like you know why should I care about space. Um, but it was interesting because obviously she's a she's a very loved actress and, and character, and um, she grew up in Chicago. She took ballet and she was a singer. She actually expected to be uh, a singer, dancer, entertainer. She worked with Duke Ellington for quite a while, um, and really didn't have a whole lot of interest in, in television. She did get cast in The Lieutenant, which was a Gene Roddenberry. Um, production um it was a existing show and they were doing one about race and etc and they had, uh, cast her it was uh it was again it was the must have been the early 60s late 50s early 60s so the the episode never actually aired which was a little bit strange that they would shoot it and i guess it was just too hot for the network to uh to run with uh but they did tell she did retell the story of when she was in the first season of the show Initially, she was uh, cast in the role, and it was sort of an unnamed character. And Roddenberry, again, having worked with her in The Lieutenant, had said, you know, I've got a role. I'm thinking about this show. I'd love to have you in it. So she was brought in at the very, very beginning. So her her, her character was kind of written around her. Um, she actually came up with the name Uhura. 
but um so she was she's on the bridge the character you know, she felt like this is a very important character and 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 then over the course of the first season she found that you know between network pressures and then story pressures and etc she just said hailing frequencies open a lot and got sick to death of it so she quit she she gave her notice and she happened to be at an NAACP event a few days later and um Somebody grabbed her arm and said, oh, you know, I've got this, this, somebody here who's a huge fan of yours. I'd love to introduce you. And she's like, you know, look, this is an NAACP band. I, you know, I love Star Trek and et cetera, but that's not kind of why, no, please come, you know, whatever. Uh, and she said, I turned around and it was Martin Luther King. And he was a big fan of the show. According to his son, it was like the only thing that the family sat down and watched. And he said, you know, it's great to see you. I really love the show. You're so great. And she had said, yeah, you know, I, I'm really a little disappointed in the role, but I have, I've resigned from, from my role. And he got very serious and said, you can't do that. Uh, and she's, <laughs> the way she tells the story, she's like, well, who is, I mean, I love Martin Luther King, but who is he to tell me how to run my career? But he said, no, you don't understand. You're there every week. We see a black woman, an African-American woman on television every week. You're there. And even if you're not doing anything great, the, the public is seeing you in this role as a, as a responsible member of a crew of diverse people. And apparently that was something that we kind of forget about now, but at the time you didn't have a lot of TV shows with any kind of diversity on it. And everyone points out the first interracial kiss on American television was on Star Trek. And apparently she was the first black actress in prime time who didn't play a maid or some sort of supporting type character. So he convinced her to come back to Star Trek. So she, she did, and she came back, and obviously, second season, third season. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a great, uh, it's a great little documentary, and it goes on to talk about, uh, you know, when they were looking for – she was at a convention, apparently, in 1975, and NASA had come because by then there had been a few conventions, and um, they had um, felt like they should – you know, this was an opportunity for them to, to talk about their, uh, their, their space program and et cetera. So uh, there was somebody that had showed a, a video of like, here's the, the future plans for NASA. And it was, you know, exploration and going to the moon and going to Mars and, you know, building on this and space stations. And I think we've all seen the art from the, the 70s and the 60s where it was all very fantastical and we were going to be we were going to be in space. Um, and she thought it was great. And then she realized, I don't see myself in this future. There's nobody that looks like me in this future. And she brought that up and she's like, you know, here I am building a, a, a fictional future where we're all very diverse. And then I look what the real future is that you've got planned and it doesn't include me or anyone like me. So they said, you're right. And they were moving, I guess, from their more traditional th missions that they had done when, when NASA first started in uh, exploring space to the shuttle missions, which were going to be a different kind of crew. So anyway, they reached out to her and asked her to um, to start recruiting for more diverse groups, um, and she did apparently a very good job. the only The only criticism I have of the documentary is they do talk about how there was a, like a four month deadline, but they don't tell you why there was a four month deadline or where that deadline came from. Um, my suspicion is it had to do with uh, the timeline of when the the missions had to get started and when they had to start gearing up for. Um, but yeah, she brought in many many people. But it was it's anyway. Long story short, which is too late. Um, it was uh, it's a really great documentary, and I highly recommend uh, anybody that has an interest in, in NASA or the space program. Uh, er absolutely, everybody is in it. Neil deGrasse Tyson, 
They talked to Walter Koenig. They talked to um, they talked to George Takai, uh, and it's great. They even had uh, there's an interesting little loop with um, May Carol Jemison, who was the first African American woman to lead one of the missions. Uh, she actually appeared in an episode of Star Trek. They had her on as a cameo as a as a uh, transporter uh, per- crewman, and she had a line. And I remember seeing it at the at the episode at the time, thinking transporter crewmen don't usually have lines, and then realized that uh, she was actually from NASA. So it was a nice little tie-in from one to the other. So anyway, that's my review. So I she recruited people for NASA or she's like, did she uh, record television spots for them? Like I, what exactly did she do for NASA? She did do spots, uh, but she traveled a lot. Uh, I guess it was toward the end of the year and any place there was like a, a Latino organization or an Asian org- organization or any, any um, organization that was having their like year end meeting or whatever she would go. And she said, you know, I don't think she said, I, I, I don't think they necessarily wanted to hear about NASA, but they did want uh, Lieutenant Uhura. She's like, you know, they, they signed up for Lieutenant Uhura and they got Nichelle Nichols. So uh, as much as there was hesitancy around it, um, she got into a lot of places that others wouldn't just because she had been, she had been, you know, the lady on Star Trek and everyone kind of knew her and she's a very nice, very likable woman. Uh, so yeah, she made appearances. She was in articles. She was on television. She did a couple PSAs. They ran the PSA during prime time, uh, which is unusual. I mean, I used to work at a TV station and you, unless you're really desperate to fill a spot because no one will advertise there, you don't run PSAs during prime time because that's, that's where you make your money. But yeah, she did all that stuff. At one point they show a map of everywhere that she traveled to and there, there's every state is visited at least once, if not two or three times. Wow. Uh, yeah. There's a present day interview with somebody from NASA and he said, you know, most people don't realize, you know, they, they recognize Michelle Nichols and they her, recognize her role in Star Trek, uh, but they don't realize that she has irrevocably uh, changed the face of NASA. They even had the footage when uh, they brought the Star Trek crew of uh, the original series out to uh, NASA when they rolled out the Enterprise, uh, the shuttle. The first shuttle was named Enterprise. And apparently the story I remember at the time was it was supposed to be named Columbia. But they were like everything that related to Star Trek. There was a letter writing campaign <laughs> into NASA. And um, at the last minute, they changed it to uh, to Enterprise just because that was the idea being that's the only spaceship that most people know of and, and love. So they changed it to enterprise. And then what I find to be like an interesting little twist of fiction and reality is when they did the star Trek enterprise series, uh, obviously the first ship off the line was named enterprise and, you know, captain Archer. And, and, but then they, during the course of this, the series, they introduced a second starship off the line and it was named Columbia. So they oh. mirrored the naming convention of the original, space shuttles with the uh, Starfleet um, Warp 5 ships. So I thought that was a nice little huh. homage. No, so. that, that is cool. Yeah. <clears throat> that sounds great. Yeah, very exciting. I mean, I, I've watched it twice. For one thing, I wanted to watch it and enjoy it, and the other time I wanted to take notes so I could talk about it more intelligently, or at least <laughs> as intelligently as I just did, which the jury's still out on that. But... um yeah, so it's uh, it's uh, it's it's great. Look for it on iTunes. I don't get any money if you go watch it or anything like that. So, quite honestly, just just go watch it. It's a, it's a great uh, it's a great thing. 
Well, that's all I have for this uh, episode. Uh, the first episode of season two of the Trek Convention podcast. Do you have anything, Jenna? I do not. I'm just okay. glad to be back. But again, like we do every time, be sure to follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. And if you have anything you want to reach out, you can direct message us. And uh, hopefully we'll be hearing from you all soon. In the meantime, go out and watch some Star Trek. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Trek Convention Podcast is brought to you in part by .comsagogo. .comsagogo is your one-stop shop for domains, domain hosting, branded email, and more. No matter where you are in the galaxy, make sure everyone can find you with your own unique domain. .comsagogo. Connecting you to the universe and helping you. Go boldly. Go to trekconvention.com sponsor for rates and deals.